Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, uh, back after his uh, his one-week hiatus from last week, Matt Willoughby. I was about to say, it's not always uh, anymore. It's, like, it's, it's I mean, mostly. Mostly always, but, you know, now that COVID has apparently disappeared from the face of the earth, because that's how that works, uh, business travel is back in full swing, which I love. It's just so great. You're a, you're a man of business, Matt, and we. I, I titan of industry. I, well, no, not really. Okay, I appreciate no. and admire that about you. But well, thank you. I appreciate that. Then you made, but then you made it weird. I, I did. Well, that's kind of what I do. It's my shtick. I make things weird. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. It's uh, would much rather be here than in um, you know traveling for work to various places, doing various things. Um, this is much more fun. So I'm very happy to be back. We're happy to have you back, Matt. Of course, Jackson filled in very ably for you last week. Uh, he's just a good kid. He's a good seed. We're we're very proud of him. But uh, yeah, that's a good episode. So um, yeah, he's you know what? We'll, we'll we'll we'll, pull, we'll still put it in the wind column. Yeah, he's not really a kid anymore. So I guess I can't say he's a good kid. Like eh, he's like he's like 21. Yeah, he's no, he's 22. He's 22. He's, God, wow. Yeah, he's graduated college. He's he's got a job. Oh, he does have the yob. So. Um, that just makes me feel old. I know. Well, thank you, Jackson. Um, and listeners, I hope you enjoyed the uh, other side of the Willoughby tri- uh, sibling triangle. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back, though. It's a good old time. It's a good old time. And lucky for you, you got back just in time to talk about some sweet, juicy sections of this game. because <laughs> Very uh, juicy. The think- plot recaps are a little bit thick this week. Yeah, things be heating up. Uh, we're going places. We are. Um Plot recap this week is pretty good, but next week we're getting juicy. Yeah, next week is going to be the crazy one. Of course, uh, when we reached out to our friend, friend of the show, Max Nichols of Bungie, um, and asked him which episode from Link's Awakening he wanted to be on, he said Face Shrine without even missing a beat. So Max is going to be on next week again to talk about that whole section of the game, and uh, we're very excited to have him back and to to chit chat about what he says is one of his favorite games ever made. So, well, there you go. Uh, always love having Max on. I mean, we love having guests on just in general, but also I kind of like talking to you. This is fine too. Yeah. But, but I mean, we have been pretty spoiled with excellent guests. Yeah, so. that's true. I don't think we've had a bad one yet. Nope. And if we did, we certainly wouldn't say it on this show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We, we, we've thoroughly enjoyed our time with everyone that we've had on um, so far. And you can probably tell that that's true because we just keep inviting them on. So accurate. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have like what? I mean, Sam O'Neill's coming back on. She'll be on for the Windfish's Egg episode. I mean, Ooh, just, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anywho, and um, yeah, maybe more to be announced. We <laughs> we still have one or two episodes to get locked in. So we'll and we'll bonus figure. episodes. Yeah. And bonus episodes, which um, we have probably gotten, should do. We've gotten a little behind on the production of those this season, but we will still have four um, within the entire run of season two. So never fear. It shall happen. 
Uh, but enough about all of that. Let's get some housekeeping out of the way and then just dive right into this. You see, you see, I see. Because uh, uh, you have to uh, dive, uh, dive to into get into the, the dungeon. Hey. Uh, uh, I hate you. I miss my calling as a as a comedian. I just have such a singular wit. I don't think you did, though. <laughs> if you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda. One little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are very greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can always head on over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. This is just a reminder that since this episode is coming out on July uh, 21st, I just want to remind everybody that that means uh, you have got, how many days are in July? 31. Um, so 10 days. Yeah, you've got 10 days remaining uh, in order to sub to the Big Goron Sword tier on our Patreon if you want access to this month's trading card design as of the time of this recording. I have not designed it yet, but uh, you <laughs> will have seen it on our social channels and in the Patreon by the time this episode goes up. <coughs> I haven't decided exactly what it's going to be yet, but it will be another Link's Awakening related um, card and uh, as well next month's as well. So that makes uh, three in a row. So can I help you? No, not at all. Uh, are we going to be releasing these in a Yeah, we are, aren't we? Okay, three in a row. Very good. Yeah, three Link's Awakening cards in a row. So uh, anyway, look forward to seeing what that is going to be. I've got some ideas, but uh, I'm recording this in the past. So uh, we'll all know. We'll all know by the time we're, that you're listening to this. We're time travelers. That's how we're doing it. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> But in the meantime, let's get into the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is, of course, a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Link's Awakening Chapter 5, which includes the Catfish's Maw. Part 1, as usually, but was not last week. But not always. <laughs> yeah, is the plot recap. As read by Matt, he's back in uh, in what I can only assume is fine form this week. Too. Well, yes, indeed. I would hope it's fine form. Uh, I missed you guys, and I missed monologuing. I didn't get to do very much monologuing while I was on my business trip, which really is just a shame. Um, oh, can I, can I go now? Or do you have anything else that you want to finish off there? This is, start? this is part one, the plot recap as read by Matt. Ah, thank you. <clears throat> as we leave the angler's cave with the fourth instrument in hand, we are getting ever closer to waking the windfish and finally leaving this charmingly odd little island. Before we head off to our next location, which according to the weird bright white light is at a bay, which by the way is a very helpful hint when you're on an island. Yeah, there are a lot of those. Bright light. A uh, prophecy voice is very nonspecific at times. Very nonspecific. Yeah. Yeah. We spot an interesting cave right outside the dungeon and decide to go check it out with our newly acquired swimming gear. Inside this cave, we find a, find a gigantic fish that claims to be the offspring of the sunfish. All of that aside, including his very odd name, this benevolent aquatic creature teaches us a catchy song?
What's his name? Monbo Mambo. Monbo is his name. Mambo is his song. Yes. Yes. Okay. Monbo. It is Monbo's Mambo. <laughs> Uh, okay, hold on, where am I? This benevolent aquatic creature teaches us a catchy song that will help us teleport around the island at will. Very nifty. Now it's off to the nearest bay that we know of to see what awaits us. As we approach Martha's Bay, we are beset by a very odd pink ghost. Unlike other ghosts on the island, this one does not attack us, but instead just follows us around, making extremely annoying noises and telling us to take it home. We assume that the specter means this in a totally nonchalant way because, truth be told, we are more than a little bit taken with Marin and are really not into the undead in that kind of way. Or any kind of way. Not about it. We find an appropriately decrepit house near the water and head inside. The ghost wanders around for more than a little while before it is apparently not satisfied with the state of its own home. Maybe you should hire a housekeeper. Now we have to take it to its grave, which is not creepy at all. A very needy little clinger indeed. Using our new warp song, we head over close to the graveyard and following the ghostly instructions, we find a secluded grave that is surrounded by flowers. The ghost is finally satisfied and thank the Lord goes to rest in peace after giving us a very handy fairy bottle. Thank you very much, Mr. Ghosty or Mrs. Ghosty. Not exactly sure. Our ever-present owl friend finds us by the grave. Seriously, this dude is a little bit creepy. He's like stalking us, but... At least he's somewhat helpful, more so than the bright white prophecy white voice thing. Just a smidge. And tells us that our next stop is Catfish Maw Cave, and we have to dive under the water to get there. Hence Linda's joke. As as previously mentioned. As previously mentioned. We enter the ominous aquatic cavern. We know we are in for a doozy of a dungeon. The dungeon is vast and is filled with enemies, shockers, traps, and very nasty giant Stolfos that has apparently absconded with the dungeon's treasure. It becomes our mission to hunt down this fiend and take that tasty loot from his freshly re-killed corpse pile of bones thing. He's double dead. But since nothing is ever easy in our life, we have to hunt down this obnoxious sack of calcium four separate times before across the entire dungeon before we finally pulverize it. But it was all worth it as he coughed up the incredibly handy hookshot. We push on through the dungeon with our handy dandy new tool until we finally come to the boss room. There we are confronted by possibly the hardest and most obnoxious boss we have faced so far, Mr. Slime Eel. Its annoying tail flails around the room as its head plays whack-a-mole from various holes in the wall, but using our handy new tool, we decapitate the fiend and push forward to claim our prize. With the wind marimba somehow in hand, that thing is very massive, I don't know how we carry all around all these instruments, but that's a story for another time, we now have five of the instruments needed to wake the slumbering windfish. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Part two, as always, is our takes where we get into our general thoughts about what we played this week. Uh, Catfish's Maw, I tend to remember as one of my I, I, I tend to look back on this dungeon more uh, fondly in. Really? Yeah, in the canon of dungeons in Link's Awakening. Um, when I replayed or when I played the Link's Awakening remaster for the first time, uh which I let's see 
I hadn't replayed the Game Boy version for about 10 years before that. So it had been 10 years since I played Link's Awakening. Got the remaster on the Switch. Um, and Catfish's Maw, for some reason, was like one of two dungeons that I was looking forward to the most. And I think that's just because in my head, I was imagining that this whole section of the game would benefit a lot from the graphical enhancements of the Switch version. And um, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the the dungeon itself, but I think overall, there are a lot of things that happen in this section of the game that have a bit more gravitas to them just by uh, by the extension of being more detailed and having a bit more uh, artistic direction to chew on uh, here. You know, uh, the bay itself, there's a whole lot of really cool effects that they worked out with, like the water. Mm-hmm. Um, it just the 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 crystal blue water of the bay looks really cool. Um, there are areas like Mr. Ghost's or Ms. Ghost or ghost or ghost person's ghosty, ghosty person. Yeah. Ghosty person's house that, uh, they managed to imbue with like a much more run, creepy. run down, creepy, lonely feeling. Um, and even once you get into the dungeon itself, uh, they really do manage to give it an aesthetic that is very in line with being this kind of, you know, bayside sand cave, uh, which I, I really did enjoy. Um, I also always look forward to this section of the game just because I know that the hookshot is coming and there are so many things that I always want to do that I'm unable to do because I don't yet have the hookshot. So maybe yes. maybe a lot of it is anticipation. I don't know, but um, I don't know. I like this section of the game. It's not quite as uh, beefy as Angler's Tunnel, like the, the Angler's Tunnel section with Yarn and Desert and all that before this. And it's certainly not as beefy as the Face Shrine Um <laughs> you know, all the stuff that goes on in the North South shrines after this, but it's, you know, it's, it's still moderately good sized. You know, it's funny you say that because this section of the game to me, and maybe it's because I was playing the last section of the game, knowing that I didn't have to come talk about it. The last section of the game to me. So the yarn of desert was like, it was very short for me. Like I basically just like, powered on through all of it. Yeah. So like this section of the game felt more beefy than Yarna, but less so than I remember face shrine being, um, obviously because I think that's mostly due to all the lore implications that come from the ancient ruins and the face shrine. This is a very good, like meaty things to do places to go. You traverse a very good chunk of the map here. Um, especially if you don't have the warping mechanic from Monbo, um, you have to do a lot of walking, which I'm going to drop a somewhat hot take here. Um, the thing I so far like least about Link's Awakening is traveling the map by walking. It feels artificially difficult to me. There are so many barriers in your way at all times. And especially when you get into Telltale Heights, trying to get where you're wanting to go is just stupid difficult. I really do think that a lot of that is just down to um, trying to get the most out of a relatively small overworld map. Right. You know, I mean, it's dense, I think. I don't remember if I talked about this last week with uh, Jackson or the week before that with Kylie, but... Regardless, it's a very dense map. Yeah. Uh, they, they really fill it chock full of stuff. And I think to your point, Nintendo really does intend for you to be warping most of right. the time. After you've gotten to a place, 
Yeah. Nintendo, like to use your example of Telltale Heights, right? Um, I do not think that Nintendo was expecting you to have to like re spelunk every cave to get around Telltale Heights like you did the first time, right? right? Um, so I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but, uh, I don't know. I just don't think that, uh, I think you should just accept warping as kind of the de facto intended mode of travel in this game. Yeah, but I, th- I think that's fair. But you're absolutely right. For anybody who didn't know to swim off to the left and go meet Monbo, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pain, right? It's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but, but even then, I mean, even if you didn't do that, you've hopefully activated one or two of the designated warp like pedestal mm-hmm. points, yeah. you know, and you can you can always walk into one of those and warp around. So um, it's not quite as convenient as using the ocarina, but it's something. Yeah, that's true. So back, back to the, the section of the game. Um, did you explore a lot coming out of Angler's Tunnel? Like, I mean, you've got the flippers now. There's a lot of. Places yeah, so you can I go. I was gonna do the raft game and then i remembered i needed the hook shot for that so obviously i'm saving that for probably two weeks from now but um yeah so i did i guess um i got the hibiscus flower from brohan on top of the mountain which i think is where my frustration came is coming from here because i was traversing telltale heights and uh, <laughs> we made fun of this last week but his he says his name is Papal. like it's <laughs> P- it's P-A-P-A-H-L. It's like Papa, but there's an L at the end. It's Papal. I, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know if that was like a, I don't know if that was like a weird localization snafu Issue, or yeah. what, but uh, anyway. Weird. So yeah, um I, I went and visited him, which ugh, annoying. Um and he eats pineapple weird. And he makes weird noises when he's eating the pineapple. It was a little gross. Well, it's I mean excessive. it's no more strange than the gator eating a or well, the croc eating a, a entire can of dog food well, while yeah, it was still that's that's there. true but at least the croc didn't make like weird noises yeah well he was hungry man you know yeah, okay well still anyway so i got the hibiscus flower from him and then um i wandered around a fair bit trying to find the ghost's um grave i, I knew exactly where the house was that was super easy you didn't know where the graveyard is no, I know where the graveyard is, but I was wandering around the graveyard looking for a grave with flowers on it. And oh. then I, was, I was like, oh, oh, it's over there. And you forgot yeah. that it was like disconnected yeah. from the yes, main. Yes, I, yeah, I did. Gotcha. Luckily, though, if you have you can just like open the map and zoom in near the graveyard and you can actually see it on the map. Sure. It's like yeah. easy to spot. Yeah. So that was fine. Um, I had to go buy more um, magic powder. So that meant I had to take a trip to the mysterious woods and get some more mushrooms and then go to the witch and then blah, 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 blah. So here's a little tip for you. I don't know if you visited the crazy curse bat in the. Yeah, I I can hold 40. Okay, cool. I can hold 40. But I was at zero for some reason. I don't remember why, but (laughs) you just uh, I just was tossing it around. I was I was snorting it and I was just ripping some lines of magic powder for funsies. Well, there you go. Man, that's a that, that is I mean, a, Link doesn't sleep in this game. He's been going for like who knows how many hours straight. He's got to be getting energy from somewhere. He's been mainlining magic powder. Yeah, probably. OK, cool. So I uh, had to go buy some magic powder, which meant back to the mysterious forest and blah, 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 blah. Um, bought the bow, obviously. So I was hunting for rupees for a while, which, you know, was cutting down a lot of grass and killing a lot of moblins. Um, yeah, I mean, I did a fair bit of exploring around. 
Okay. It was good. Cool. Yeah, was how, how are you doing on uh, seashells? Oh, I actually started collecting those. So um, I got my, I got the piece of heart. And then um, the week after the face shrine, I'm going to dedicate to getting the boomerang and the coho lens sword. So like, that's going to be my two things there. Okay. Um, because you go from the face shrine to Eagle Tower and then between Eagle Tower and the windfish egg, there's like not a lot going on. There's another so, dungeon. Oh, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, there's the Eagle Tower, another dungeon, then the windfish egg. But like between those three things, there's not too many other side quests besides the boomerang and the coholin sword. And yeah, you're going to need to basically devote an entire night to just yeah. uh, to seashell hunting if that's what you want to do. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty much I... And I am going to cheat and I'm going to look up a guide because the first time I played this, I didn't. And I spent like so many hours wandering around. Well, you know, it's a lot easier once you get the the, the detector. Yeah. yeah. So that's my plan there. Um, and the first time I played Link's Awakening, I didn't get the Coho Lint Sword because I was burnt out on hunting seashells and just didn't care. Yeah. Um, now I want it this time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do it. Cool. So what do you think of obviously this isn't really uh, uh, it's not a side quest because you have to do it but uh i don't know what do you think of the whole ghost you know that that whole section of you know taking him to his house and then to the grave and i mean if it didn't give me a fairy bottle i would not like it like the reward at the end is good enough and it's also not hard like you don't have to fight anything crazy. You don't even really have to go that far yeah. to be hundred percent honest. Like everything's pretty self-contained there. Um, and as long as you turn the volume all the way down, it's not that bad. It's well, no- it's noises are annoying. Yeah, but, no, you know. I mean, I, I think it's a cool thing in theory. I think that it's uh, it functions mostly as just a a thing to take up space between yes. dungeons. But also, I appreciate it because it just adds yet another layer to the whole bizarre story of this island, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's so... It's just so weird. It's all very... uh, It's all super offbeat, you know? Yeah. It doesn't contribute anything to anything except for giving you a bottle. Like, this ghost is not some important person. This They don't help you with the windfish. They don't even tell you where to go for the dungeon. Mr. Owl tells you where to go. Like, it serves literally no purpose as, as a quest. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but you know what? I got a fairy bottle, and Mr. Owl then told me where to go next. So, at the end of the day, meh. No, it's cool. I, I do think it really is just about... Um, being weird for the sake of being yeah. weird, and, you know, and, and filling I, some time, yeah. And I and I do appreciate that because that is a very intentional uh, tone that this game goes for. Is just making you feel like what like, the heck? Yeah, making you feel like you're a part of something truly bizarre on this island, and and every moment really being a part of that. So anyway, I I enjoy it for that reason. But you know, it almost makes me wish that they would have the big reveal that is slotted for next week a little bit earlier because I feel like if they did. It would set that tone and make everything make more sense. Does that make does, does that it, does that no, track with it, you? It does. I don't know. I I personally, th- I mean, I I've always felt like once you get to that section and the reveal that you're talking about happens, uh, I've always felt like that was maybe even a little too early 
right? Like, I think it's too... I mean, I guess. They don't really leave two ways about it once you discover that. Well, but here's the thing that I wish they had done, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but it's too important. I wish they had almost contradicted it. So I wish they had revealed it early, and then in the ancient ruins had, like, done something to say, like, oh, but is it really? And, like, made you do that little head shake and like oh wait what is this hmm i don't know i think that per for me would have been cooler but i don't know personal preference yeah i don't know anyway, yeah we'll, we'll get into all that next week but is there anything more general that you want to say about this section of the game before we move into the dungeon map no because we're going to talk about the color dungeon later so i think uh yeah that's probably that's a good uh, idea that's a good idea uh, yeah okay so part three is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon the catfish's maw from mechanics to music and more and i already said this but i do like the aesthetic of this dungeon quite a lot it's got that kind of like partially submerged sand beach cave uh vibe going on love beach cave yeah it's really cool and uh i don't know this dungeon it follows a very different format than the dungeons we've had so far in this game in terms of the fact that like you're essentially running the dungeon twice you know you have to go through all of it in order to fight master stalfos four times Mm -hmm. and then after that once you have the hook shot the you you go back to all those sections of the dungeon again but now they're opened up for whatever you need to do with the hook shot to progress past that. So I don't know. I've always thought that, uh, I mean, when I was younger, that really bugged me because I didn't have the patience for that amount of backtracking. Right. Um, as an adult, I, I, I find it to be a very clever way to make what is not a super large dungeon feel a lot bigger, you know? Um, I don't know. What, what do you think, Matt? Everyone knows on this podcast by now, if you're a, if you're a um, recurring listener, everyone knows how I feel about backtracking in dungeons. It's my least favorite thing about dungeons. Um, I, but I like this dungeon. I do. Um, the Stalfos fights are fun. It's like a fun boss with this. This dungeon basically has three bosses. Stalfos, the two Goma thingies, and then obviously um, eel person slime thing. Eel slime eel. Um, so the mechanic for fighting the giant Stalfos is fun. You have to time your your sword swipe really well and then bomb him. Um, finding the rooms in the right order is a good uh, mind puzzle, like trying to keep track of where they are and, and remember the path to get there. It's a good exercise in critical thinking and, um, pathing. Uh, so I appreciate that. Definitely am vibing with the, the beach cave. Love it. Um, I mean, combat is a much bigger component of this dungeon than it it has been in the past. Yes, it is. And I think that's one of the main reasons I do like this dungeon I uh, just the the there's just so much backtracking and I'm thinking specifically about the room where you first come into this room and it's it's a four way stop. Basically, it's a crossroads and in the middle is uh, our five blocks and the center one is the, you have to push, but you can only push it one direction. Yeah. And this this room specifically annoys me so much 
because you have to push the block one way, exit the room, come back to the room, push the block another way, go up that new branch, do a thing there, come back down. You, you like have to go in and out of this crossroads like a dozen times to get what you're trying to do. And that is just unnecessary, in my opinion. Like, I find that like, what's the point? I would you argue are arti- you are artificially making me spend 10 times more time than I need to to accomplish what I need to accomplish. I would argue that that room would uh, have. I mean, nothing in this dungeon would have been lost by just eliminating that middle block. I absolutely. Exactly. You know what would have been a cool thing if they had done instead of that, which would have fed into the whole combat gauntlet. Mm-hmm. A, you know aspect of this dungeon that they were clearly going for i right. mean um is if you know how there are two sparks in there yeah on the right and the left side when you come in yeah if there had been also a spark on the north and south and it just is about you having to dodge the spot Do- yeah to jump over there. them yeah. yeah i mean literally remove that middle block and to me this dungeon becomes infinitely more enjoyable because that crossroads pisses me off man all right well uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it now. I mean, for our Ocarina of Time season, you know, the real uh, it, we had a large cast of characters that we discussed in that season. But I think the real standout was our boy, Dave, the chicken. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to call it sure. now the catfish's mob block. Matt's Matt's nemesis Ugh, and, is my uh, nemesis. And now I, <laughs> I think that block. I think is the just the true star bit player. Of we call it Lakes Greg. Awakening. Yeah, let's call it Greg. Greg, the block. Greg, the block. <laughs> I hate Greg. <laughs> oh my gosh Uh, i'm so sorry that show me on the doll where the block touched you no (laughs) i can't (laughs) too many places oh gosh look yeah i mean i know that's such like a small thing to some people but it was just needlessly tedious and i don't love top-down zeldas already um so like that was just a thing that was like it's like a a sticker in your foot, right? Like from from one of those gum trees in yeah, his yeah, backyard. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, oh, why? So as it, so, if we're accepting that the intention is for this dungeon to be a combat gauntlet, do you think it is successful in that aim? Absolutely. Yeah. No. This this is a great combat gauntlet just because of really it is a great combat gauntlet because of giant Stalthos boy. Like hunting this guy down is super fun. But I even, love that. Sure, but even besides that, I, I mean, enemy density is quite a lot higher. In oh here yeah, it than is. it has been really anywhere else. The enemies that you do have to fight, a lot of them have some kind of gimmick. You've got the little rhino beetle dudes who you can only attack from behind. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You have several different kinds of stalfos. You've got the ones that jump and attack you, and then you've got the ones that throw a bone at you when you swipe at them. Yeah, lots of sparks flying around all over the place. Yeah, the sparks annoy me until I have the boomerang because you can't do anything except dodge them. Sure, but like you know, that's a again yeah. very that is a very in my opinion I mean, minor component. hooded hooded stalfos that are throwing spears. It's mm-hmm. just there's a lot of ways to get boo boos in this dungeon. So I don't know. I think that uh, I think that that's fun. Not in and of itself, because I think that combat in especially top down Zelda games is not necessarily where they shine the See, most. That, that's what I would uh, I was going to say that. But yeah. but when you do that and you combine it with an interesting dungeon layout, not necessarily a super complicated one, but just an, an interesting one. Yeah, I think that the result is a very strong dungeon. You know, one of the things I have the hardest time with in top down Zelda dungeons is the um, the stairwells. 
that you go down one side and then you come up in a different area of the map. I have a very personal hard time remembering which stairwells are connected to which sections of the map. <laughs> I wish you could make notations on the dungeon map in this game like you can yeah. in others. Yeah, I totally agree because like I I spent a lot of time in this dungeon just being like, okay, which stairwell do I need to go in to get to the portion of the map that I want to be at? Is it this one? Nope, not that one. Is it this one over there? So that's, and that's a, I mean, that's just like a me thing that I, I know I would probably be better at had I played more top-down Zeldas or at least played this game more than one time. So um, that's that's not a point of annoyance for me necessarily. It's just like one thing that I wish could be made clear with something like map marking. Yeah, sure. I think that would be an improvement for me personally. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a very valid criticism. Um, let's see. What? Okay, so the main item of this dungeon is, of course, the hookshot, a classic, as classic a Zelda item as exists, really. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that in the 3D or in the top-down games, the hookshot is its most powerful. Um, oh, dude, this this hookshot is crazy good. Just because in the top-down games, the hookshot typically can tra- uh, it can traverse the entire length or width of the screen that you're on. So. Dude, this thing has a longer range than the long shot in Ocarina of Time. Like, it's nuts. Well, yeah, it's it's infinite. Like, it, it will just go for as, as much screen as there is until it's it hits crazy. something. So, yeah, it's great. Um, obviously, in a combat gauntlet dungeon, it's really helpful when the main item that you get from that dungeon it stuns is, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> is able to stun enemies, which is super, super helpful. Um, and yeah, I you know, I don't... After I, after every time after I played this game and I look back on it and I think, what was my favorite item in that game? I never think the hook shot simply because in the last two ish dungeons, I've already gotten the boomerang by that time. And it's like <laughs> the hook shot, but better. It's right? like a nuke. It's the nuclear option for everything in the game. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. But at this point in Catfish's Maw, knowing that the hook shot is what I'm going to have for another dungeon or two. It's great. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. I love this hookshot. Um, I still, if I had to pick like a favorite item, Rock's Feather is still probably the most versatile. Well, but like, I mean, like I said, we I, the Rock's Feather, as soon as I got it, went into my X button. And it, and had, it has not left. Has not left. No. Yeah. It has not left. So I guess excluding the Rock's Feather. And, and the, I never unequip it. No. Excluding the Rock's Feather, excluding the Boomerang and the non-equipables, right? So you're left with the bow, um, bombs, hookshot. Mm, ocarina bottles uh i'm missing some did you say bow i did um shovel shovel Eh. okay so but excluding the obvious answers right which is rocks feather and um boomerang mirror shield fire rod yeah 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 well fire rod that's a good one i forgot about the fire rod well yeah but again you get you get it in the last dungeon so (laughs) i god i hate those i like and i I love those items but i hate those items well and also like i don't know that the fire rod is really any better than the boomerang i really don't think it is i think the boomerang is just a better (laughs) fire rod except the boomerang can't damage the nightmare boss so like eh. and you can technically get the boomerang after this you need the hook shot but once you have the hook shot you can complete the whole quest and get the boomerang yeah so, I mean, anyway, all of that to be said, the hookshot is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty great. Um, I agree with you. I think that as a mid-dungeon boss, or at least 
I, because I, he's not even technically the mini boss of this dungeon. No, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, so it's awesome. Th- this dungeon has two mini bosses, and they're both. I wouldn't say that Master Stalthos is super hard, but just fighting him four times makes kind of ups yeah. up his difficulty, maybe a little artificially. But and and the fourth time, he's actually like jumping around and doing different things. So he's sure, harder. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Master Stalthos is a great fight. And then I don't know why I every time I play this dungeon, I forget that the real mini boss are those crazy sand crabs. No, they're, they're Goma. They're Goma crabs. Oh, is that what they are? Yeah, they're Goma crabs. OK, because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, these top down games, they have this um, they have this tradition of naming creatures consistently with other games in the series, but they look completely different. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. like uh, in Key Cavern, when you told me that those bomb snake dudes were, were Dodongo snakes, I was like. That doesn't really? look like a Dodongo to me. Huh. I mean, no, okay. it, it doesn't. But like, I appreciate the effort of yeah. like keeping things. Okay, so Gomas. Uh, anywho, uh, I completely forgot that the Gomas were the mini bosses of this dungeon. And those dudes. So I've got. Oh, they're annoying, right? I've, I've got three deaths on my tally now. Did they kill you twice? Oh, no, just once. Just once. I've died twice at this point. Oh, you said you had three deaths on your tally. I'm confused. No, I died. I had died twice before this. Oh, wait, when? I remember the first time. Um, what was the second time? Was it on the last episode that I wasn't on? No. When was it? I definitely didn't die in Angler's Tunnel. Okay. I don't know. I need to think about that. Anywho, I've got three little gravestones next to my name. Now. You died to the slime boss. Yes, I did. That was your first death, yes, which is still hilarious. Yes, it was. And uh, um, my second one was, you know what? I'm getting things confused. I have three now, but I've played my, the next dungeon as because oh. we're recording episodes back to back. Okay, so, so you died in the face shrine. Yes, yeah. I okay. So anyway, this was my second death, and it's just because um, the last time that I fought these guys, I had got the bow before I went into Catfish's Maw. Did you not this time? No, I didn't. Dude, the bow was a lifesaver in this dungeon for me. I used that so much. So I never get the bow until I have to go to Face Shrine because that's- You have to, you, you have to kill the Armos That's with it. technically when you need it first. Of course, <laughs> once again, if you get the boomerang before you go over there, then you actually- you don't need the bow at all. Yeah, if you once you have the boomerang, the only thing in this game you need the bow for is for like hitting- some things every now and again like there's a statue i think you have to hit once with the bow to unlock a door in a dungeon later but regardless Mm -hmm. so um didn't have the bow this time and i did not know how to damage these guys without the bow and they're usually difficult enough just because you have to time every you have to time your shots right you have to dodge the one that charges you sometimes they both charge you at the same time sometimes yep. one is blocking the other one oh that one, that was frustrating a little bit just yeah. like i'm trying to hit your and buddy so, like move over and so by the time i finally figured out that you have to stun with the hook shot while their eye is open and then go up and hit with your sword yeah i didn't figure that out till i ran out of arrows yeah <laughs> um and so by the time i had figured that out i'd already lost a lot of hearts and um and yeah, anyway, fell fell to these guys. So went back in and beat them the second time and still had difficulty with it. I mean, it is just yeah, they're tough. They are just kind of hard, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, no, they're, they're tough for sure. Um, so but but that's great. You know, after that first time you die in a no death run and you just like and actually when that slime boss killed me, I just I just flipped off my switch. I was just like, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> Double, double middles to the switch. 
Like, <laughs> if you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, but after that first time, you it, just kind of go ham at it and just kind of see what happens, see where everything lands. Sure. I mean, I'm still trying not to die, but like. Yeah, well, because it's annoying. But when I do, I appreciate that it was a thing that was difficult enough to. You know, like because a lot of times these games are just sort of easy for me now, you know, right. Um, And I'm still finding things in this game from a combat standpoint that are difficult and that I am butting up against. And this was definitely one of them. Hot ish take Um, combat in top down Zelda's is less interesting, but harder than 3D Zelda's. Sure, because there's no targeting. Man, like I, I find myself getting hit by enemies so much more in top-down Zeldas than I ever do in any 3D Zelda I've ever played. The notable exception being Breath of the Wild, in which you still have a targeting system, but also you still get hit a crap ton. Yeah, those enemies are nuts. Yeah. Like... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, those enemies are crazy. But, I mean, like, I think about Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, the ones that I've played probably the most. um, Like, I'd, like, don't die in those games very much if at all like when we were doing ocarina of time i i didn't die yeah i mean granted i had like like 16 hearts by the end but um like i just i I know the combat systems of those games well enough and i know the movement capabilities and i know the timing of enemies well enough that i don't really get hit or die that much and um and top downs everything feels much more chaotic to me and maybe it's just my lack of familiarity with top downs, but I find combat less rewarding and much harder in top downs. No, you're right. I I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, It's a few different things. One is that you have one screen space to work with at any given time, really. Right. And they are trying to fill that screen space with as many enemies as they think is appropriate to the level of difficulty that you should be at at that point in the game. Right. Mm -hmm. And at this point in the game, about halfway through, uh, you know, they're giving yeah, they're giving us more enemies per screen. And like I said, when there's no targeting and also you're working in like two dimensions, basically. Right. Um yeah, your maneuvering options are more limited. You're not very fast. Link is no, just, he's he's pretty slow. Link's pretty slow. And yeah, it's just it's a lot more things to keep track of. Um and it's very frantic, you know, especially yeah. when you when you put multiple different types of enemies that each have different movement patterns in here right it's, it's a lot to keep track of so i i agree yeah i find the most difficulty in any room that has a spark or two on top of enemies like the sparks just get me man i always forget about them and then they come around and smack me and i'm like i hate you i hate you so much but yeah okay let's get into the boss which is the slime eel, which you're making faces and noises. And I've never thought this guy was too terribly difficult, but it's for me, it's the tail um, because it doesn't have a steady swing. It does like a back and forth and then back, back, forth, forth, back, forth, back, forth, forth. Like it, it has a almost random pattern to it. So I was consistently mistiming my jump. Yeah. And I, if I had just like sat there and focused on it for a bit, I probably could have gotten it. But I was like, I want to kill this guy. And it honestly took me a very hot minute to figure out how to get him out of the wall with the hook shot. 
Oh, like right. I, I was, I knew, like I, I kind of logically assumed that I needed to use the hook shot to damage this guy, and I guess I was mistiming it at first because I guess I was hitting his closed mouth or I was hitting like a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, so it wasn't pulling him out. And so, so at one point, I was, I like gave up on the hook shot and was trying to just hit him out of the wall. That didn't obviously didn't work. I tried to. Uh, feed him a bomb like a Dodongo snake, which obviously didn't work. So there was a little bit of frustration there for me. I think mostly kind of the hitbox thing you were talking about with the the slime boy that killed you. Yeah, def- like yeah, yeah. Eh. It, it can get funky. Just just to explain the fight for anybody who has not played it yet or hasn't played it in a while. Um, the way that this guy works is that there's a pit in the middle of the boss room, and then there are four holes in the walls that the boss's head can pop out of. The boss has a spiked tail that comes out of the pit in the middle, and it just swings in a circle around the room. And if you get hit by the spiked tail, then you get hurt. So the object... Like a lot. Yeah. The object of this fight is to pull the boss's head out of one of the holes in the wall, and right behind his head, he's got this glowing orb that when you hit with your sword, you can do damage. So what you're supposed to do is when the boss pokes his face out of one of those four holes, you hookshot the boss's mouth which pulls him out and then you can hit the orb with your sword and do damage. So the things that are difficult are that one, as Matt said, you have to dodge the tail and two, every now and again, a false boss face pops out of the wall. And if you hookshot one of those bad boys, then it comes all the way out and like jumps after you and chomps you. Yeah. Um, And also you you figured out how to tell the difference between those, right? Eyes. It's the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the tail takes up almost the entirety of the room. So you don't have hardly any maneuvering space within within this boss room because it comes out of a giant hole in the middle. So that takes up four. Yeah. Four blocks worth of space and probably a I think it's like a eight by eight, maybe. So you have eight blocks missing in the middle and then the boss is coming out of one of the corners. So that takes away one of your blocks as well. So you're really left with, you know, call it 10 blocks of, of actual maneuverable space. And the tail takes up eight of those. And so you you have like no maneuverability whatsoever in this space without the risk of being hit by something that will take away on normal mode, two full hearts. Sure. Yeah. Look, I don't really think that most of the bosses in Link's Awakening are hard i don't think any of them are hard except this one um i I mean i don't think this one's particularly hard but i i would say that it is one of the harder ones in the game like in the if you're if you're grading them all against each other uh then this is one of the harder ones i think that uh let's see i think moldorm and you think moldorm's hard well relatively i mean if you're I mean, you just got to be fast with him, right? Like, it's just all I, movement. I don't know. I just didn't have I've the, the two times I've played this. I've never had even a remote problem with Moldorm. Moldorm. And then um, I think that the boss in Turtle Rock, the last boss of the game, is kind of tough. I don't remember him very well. He's the one who dives in and out of the lava. You have to hit him with the fire rod. And he's oh, fast. Yeah, um, I don't remember that fight very well. Right let's now. see. The angler is certainly not hard. No, God, that was easy. He's creepy looking. Yeah, but 
super easy. I don't recall the eagle in Eagle's Tower being too hard. The final boss in this game is pretty hard. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. The nightmare boss is hard. Yeah, but anyway, most of them aren't too difficult, and I guess for sure this is one of the more difficult ones. But, like, the concept of the boss is really cool. Oh, I totally agree. And, like, the execution of how they do it is, I mean, it's definitely one of the more interesting boss fights in this game. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I definitely, I appreciate it very much uh, from from that perspective. I think the thing that would have made it really fantastic for me was reducing the reach of the tail by like half a block. Like if you just had a little bit more maneuverability on the sides of the map to where you could more easily navigate getting from one side to the other, because he comes out of those holes pretty quickly. You know, his whack-a-mole is, is fairly fast and there's not a pattern to it at all. So you're trying to traverse this space with not very much maneuverability and a giant hole in the middle. And I think that's what frustrated me a lot. So I think reducing the reach of the tail by like half a block space or something like that um, would have made this boss like equal parts fun and challenging for me. Okay. Um, And, you know, again, this is my complete personal opinion and I know that I'm nitpicking, but like that's just kind of where I land with it. Yep, that's all. That's all fair and valid. Matt, do you have anything else you want to say about this dungeon before we move on? Yeah. How do you carry around a freaking marimba? (laughs) Uh, Well, I don't know. I mean, we got a we got a cello on day one. I know. Like, where is all this crap? I want to know. I know how big a cello is. We were both tuba players and cellos were bigger than our tubas. I mean, you're asking great questions. I don't have great answers. (laughs) Okay. I just want to make sure that we're asking the questions. Uh Yeah. Okay. That has been the dungeon map. Let's get into part four, which is where we talk side quests. And I think we have a pretty big one to kind of tackle this week map up before we get into the color dungeon, because I think we agreed that this was the week we were going to do that. Um, Which by the way, this is the first time I've done the color dungeons. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't do it last time. I didn't know it existed. Oh, Okay, cool. Happy I could. Uh, well, tip, I'll, tip I'll tell the that. story when we get there. Yeah. Okay. So um, we've already talked a little bit about like seashells and everything, but uh, I just want to say from a side quest standpoint, this time around. Okay. So I, I have progressed as far as you can in the item trading quest up until this point, which is actually pretty far. You can't complete it before you get the hook shot, but you can get everything else done. So <coughs> I took uh, I took the hibiscus to Goat Lady in Animal Village. And then I took Goat Lady's letter to Mr. Wright, which um, we'll talk about this more in Z-targeting, but the contents of this letter are uh, are hilarious. (laughs) Um, Mr. Wright gives you a broom, which you can give to uh, the grandma in Mabe Village. Once she's got the broom, she gives you a fishing hook. That you then take to the fisherman who yes. gives you a scale that you take to the mermaid who gives you a necklace. Nah, 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 you missed one. Yeah. Oh, I did. So you take the you take the fishing hook under the bridge in Martha's Bay and there's a fisherman down under there. Yeah. And he, he and you. he fishes up a necklace and then right. you get the necklace and then you take the necklace to the mermaid who's also in the bay and she gives you one of her scales right and after you have the mermaid's scale you take it to the statue yes as soon as you have the hook shot and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. That's and then right. and then once you get underneath the statue is where the magnifying lens is and yes. the magnifying lens is what you need to get to the windfish's egg well you and need- also you have to trade it to yes. the guy 
But no, you give him your shovel. Yes, you you uh, the magnifying lens is what you need to see the dude in the beach cave who gives you the boomerang. And then also it's what gives you the um, the correct order of rooms to go in when you get to the windfish's egg. So correct. Anyway, we'll get to that later. But yeah, so I progressed as far as I can in that trading quest. Also did a lot of fishing this week. Why? Because you get two secret seashells from the fishing minigame. Oh, man, and, I'm have to do it. And also, I, um, I'm i saving up money for the bow. And you uh, get... I see, I bought that already. Okay, yeah, you get a lot of money from doing the, the fishing quest. So I caught both Mario uh, species in Ooh, the nice. pond. I got the cheap, cheap, and the blooper. And the, oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And I got a secret seashell from each of those guys. So Very good. Uh, the only fish I have not caught yet is Old Baron. So... I'll go try to get him at some point, but what does he give you? You get a, uh, move. Well, does I he give you a I, bottle? No, I thought it was the heavyweight lure, but I already have the heavyweight. Yeah. Lure. You have to have the heavyweight lure to catch old Baron. I don't remember what old Baron gives you. I'll let you know next week. Okay. That sounds fun. <laughs> or actually the week after week because after, I, yeah. Anyway. So, okay. That's where I'm at. Uh, you've already kind of talked about what side questy stuff you got into this week. Why don't you, True. why don't you go ahead and launch into the color dungeon and your history with it? So, Color Dungeon. Did not know this was a thing. Uh, Lyndon texted me a couple days ago and was like, hey, by the way, I'm going to cover the Color Dungeon uh, in our next episode. And I was like, so we're covering two dungeons in one episode. Like, that was my, I didn't say this out loud to Lyndon. I was like, okay. I just said, okay. And then I Googled it. But I literally thought he was saying we were going to cover two dungeons in a single episode. I had no idea what it was. I was like, how do I not remember the color dungeon? Like, I beat this game. Um, So when I looked it up, it was like, oh, this is like a special secret side quest dungeon that gives you something cool. And I was like, oh, well, that's dope. So I looked it up, did the thing. It was super fun. So what's what's the thing? Explain how you get into the color dungeon. So getting into the color dungeon, you go to the graveyard. And um, in the graveyard, there is a certain before that. No, there's so not. so you can access the color dungeon as soon as you get the Pegasus boots. The way that you find out what you need to do is um Oh yeah, to- yeah, yeah. You go you go to the library. You go to the library in Mabe Village. I didn't do this because I Googled it. <laughs> um because I didn't know what the color dungeon was, so I was like, I have no idea what to do here. Um, so if you're doing it the correct way, um, not the IGN uh, guide, thank you, IGN. Um, if you're doing this the correct way, you go to the library in Mabe Village and you use the Pegasus boots to knock a book off the top shelf at the back of the library. It's like teetering there. It looks like it's about to fall off. If you use the Pegasus boots and hit the shelf, it'll fall off. You can read it. And it will give you a sequence um, of, you know, like three right, one down, two left or or whatever it is. I don't remember exactly. You take that sequence and you go to the cemetery and in the right bottom corner of the cemetery. So that is the south east corner of the cemetery. There are five headstones. There's uh, there's two on the bottom row and three on the top row. And you use the sequence that you find in the book going from bottom right to top right. I know I'm just, I'm, I'm illustrating because it helps me. I talk with my hands. Well, I know, but you're hitting the table. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, starting from the bottom, right. So the, which what's it, it's technically in the middle. So 
you know, one gravestone, two gravestone on the bottom row. That's one and two. And then top left gravestone is three. Top middle is four and top right is five. So you use the sequence to push the gravestones in the correct directions at in the correct sequence. And you will get a um, stairwell that leads down underneath that fifth headstone. This takes you to the color dungeon and pro tip. If you have never done the color dungeon before and you want to do it, Definitely do it. But before you go to the color dungeon, make sure you stock up on magic powder. I just remember where my my death came from that we oh, were trying to. Okay. It was in here. Yep. So um, magic powder, you have to use magic powder on pretty much everything in this dungeon. So stock up, get get the 40 count of magic powder and get it full before you go into the color dungeon. The way you do that, if you didn't know, there's a bush that you can hack in the mysterious forest and it, uh, it reveals a stairway. You go down the stairway and you toss magic powder in the uh, altar and this bat dude pops up. The two up. braziers. Yeah, this bat dude pops up and he upgrades your magic powder to where you can carry 40. So yeah, yeah. so do that. And then... Uh, you progress through this dungeon, which is fun and interesting. And there's some really cool puzzles in this dungeon. Yeah, I love it. Cool background on this dungeon. It originally appeared in the Link's Awakening DX release of this game. It was not in the Game Boy original. Um, they added it, obviously, for the Game Boy Color port. Because, because it was Color co- Dungeon. Color Dungeon. Yeah, the power of color. It was a big deal. And uh, yeah, so that's where this originally comes from. Um <laughs> Um, that's where this originally comes from. And I agree with you, Matt. I actually think that it's, you know, I don't know if you can technically call it a full dungeon, but it basically is. I mean, it's beefy. Um, I mean, it's harder than it's got harder than most of the other dungeons in this yeah, game. <laughs> it's got keys. It's got lots of combat and mini bosses. It's got a boss key, a dungeon the, map, a compass. Like it's the, got the whole shebang. The dudes that you have to hit with your sword that are differently colored, they're blue, yellow and red. And you have to hit them with your sword and then pick them up and toss them into their respective color circle things. That was a very cool mechanic. I liked that one. I like those a lot. And then I also like the rooms where you kind of have to think through the switches that change color because oh, whenever you, I love, I love those types of puzzles. Yeah. I find them very fun. Yeah. Whenever you're in one of those rooms, it, it will have like, I don't know, between four and 12, um, or between, and it changes, between, yeah, it, between four and nine switches, and they change a color every time you hit them with your sword. And it changes the ones that are directly adjacent to them. So if you have them in a, in different patterns, you have to think very strategically about which one you're hitting and what it's going to change. And I like it because the object is to make every switch in the room blue. Correct. So yeah, so those are those are fun and require a little bit of critical thought. Like I said, there are too many bosses in this dungeon, and they're both decently hard. You know? Yeah. I mean, I didn't find them hard because I had the bow and arrow, so I just. Went, I was just popping them yeah. from long distance. Yeah. So they weren't terrible, but um, yeah, there's the, uh, there's the, the giant buzz blob was 10 times harder than the other guy. Yeah, no, definitely. The buzz blob is definitely the hardest. Um, the guy, the big, that, that guy almost killed me. The big stone mecha dude is not super hard. You just have to, dodge if you rocks. have a bow and arrow. Yeah. Yeah. So not bad. Uh, but yeah, big buzz blob guy, which actually I like fighting this guy because, um, there's he's essentially the same boss as uh, Minish Cap. As Minish Cap, yeah. Which mm-hmm. I said in our in our bosses, uh, our favorite bosses episode, bonus episode that I really enjoyed that boss. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's just kind of a cool like giant green choo choo, 
And uh, and yeah, he's, he's that pretty shoots difficult. electricity out of his tentacles. Yeah, and you have fun. to you have to get pretty close to him because the only way to stun him is with magic powder, and the yeah. the reach is not really there with not magic powder. So anyway, yeah. Um, and then the final boss is decently hard as well. I mean, he fires like you have to hit him a certain number of times within a certain window of time. Yeah, he was actually really hard. I liked that fight. It was very frantic. Mm-hmm. You had to hit him, and it changes his shell color. And you, you have to keep hitting him, but you have to hit him quickly, or else his shell will revert to the previous color and as once you get him to his third to last color it's like a dark burnt orange or something he starts just dropping random skeleton enemies on you all over the place and yeah that was fun so color dungeon boss is the best boss so far i think so yeah 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 yeah. i think so okay um so anyway all of this is done to get you to the final room of the dungeon where you meet a fairy and she gives you the option to choose between red male or blue male and if you get the red male then you do double damage as long as you're wearing it and if you get the blue male then you take half damage um for however long you're wearing it and uh i chose the blue male i almost always do just because if you get the coholent sword later in the game then you're getting both benefits basically because the coholent sword does double damage so if i have the coholent sword and the red male do i do quadruple damage yes okay cool yeah uh so yeah but anyway i got the blue mail especially on hero mode it just really helps to soak up some of that some of that damage so i chose the red mail because I knew you would. Yeah, I mean, I'm an attacky boy. <laughs> this yeah. is kind of what yeah. I do. <laughs> I'm a Titan main for a reason. Uh-huh. Like, this is, is my identity. Right. Um, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And actually, having the red male, because um, I did this before I did Catfish's Maw, um, I was killing... I was killing bosses fast. And, I, like, obviously, all of the Moblins, all of the hooded, the hooded guys that throw spears... All of those guys you kill in one shot with your sword, which is very helpful. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. it yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, and also just, I'm you, not on hero mode, so I didn't really feel the need for a. No, that's va- that's valid. That's really valid. But I mean, honestly, like maybe the side quest and all side quests. I mean, this is a really cool little. It's basically an entire other level of the game. No, I, t- I completely agree. Yeah, it is. It is literally another dungeon. Well, I'm really glad that I could uh, inform no, you. you of, of yes. its existence. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Anytime. Um, if you don't know and you haven't played the Color Dungeon and Leaks Awakening Switch, Switch Remake, now you know. Go do it. It's awesome. If you're on regular mode, I recommend the Red Mail because it lets you kill things super fast. If you're on Hero Mode, definitely get the Blue Mail. Yeah. Yep. Really cool little thing there. Um, as far as additions to remasters of Zelda games go, I think this For one, sure. this one's definitely up. There. I have a bone to pick with IGN, actually, now that we're talking about remakes and everything. Why? They released a poll today that was the top 10 remakes of, of all time video game remakes. And they put Link's Awakening Switch remake as number 10. And really? I feel like it should be way higher on that list. What was the list? I don't remember. I remember number one was Resident Evil 2, which like fair, like fantastic game. Okay. Um, like there were some good ones on there, but Link's Awakening as a remake. And I know we talked about this in our intro episode and we're probably going to talk about it again in the recap episode, but I want to say it here. Um, this game is incredible as a remake from a 1993 Game Boy game to what it is now. Holy cow. So good. 
deserved to be higher than number 10 IGN. If anyone from IGN listens to this podcast, <laughs> let somebody, whoever wrote that list, let them know that we disagree with their ranking of Link's Awakening Switch. Okay. It is so noted. Um, I'm sure, I mean, what? I'm sure Mass Effect Legendary Edition is on there. I'm Actually, sure. it wasn't. Oh, really? Oh, because mm-hmm. I guess that's more of a remaster. I mean, really Mass Effect 1 was remade, but 2 and 3 were not. So, like, I, I get why it's not on there. Hold on, I'm Googling this list because now I want to know. Um, it, like, literally just came out today on their Instagram. It's the only place I saw it, so I don't, I don't know if you'll be able to easily find it, but it's out there somewhere. Okay. Well, anyway. Um, yeah, number 10, definitely too low for this game. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun. All right, that has been side quests. Let's get into part five, which is Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, I'm going to let you go first because you texted me on my way over here and were like, hey, uh, this is my Z-targeting pick. Hands off. Don't bro. steal it. Yeah. Because you've done that before, stolen my Z-targeting. Well, here I here I am being a gracious and benevolent podcast king and allowing Well, now you, you to- made it weird. Remember how I made it weird earlier? Well, now you made it weird. How's that feel? <laughs> I am a merciful god. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent movie. Um, terrible use of that quote, <laughs> sir. <laughs> um, oh man! Wow. Or is it? I'm the, a generous god. I don't remember. I think it's generous. Okay. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> my Z targeting pick uh, is Monbo. Because his name is completely ridiculous, and also that dude looks stoned out of his goddamn mind. I really like his little dancing fish. I know he did. They, he right, he was at the bottom, I and he was just like kind of going, and then the they're all like. <laughs> it was really just. I'm, a, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna cut that song in here. That whoever like coded and wrote and like um, animated that section of the game was a thousand percent on acid. Like they just were. And hey, I respect it. Saying it now, saying it now. If somebody donates $1,000 to our Patreon account, Matt is going to get a Monbo tattoo on his ankle. I will absolutely not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no. Save your money. I will not get a Monbo tattoo on my body. It's not happening. 2000 Okay, look, like if you give enough money, sure, but I'm not, I don't know what that threshold is. I'm going to have to do some serious soul searching on that one. Yeah, but like, for, for what price will you put Monbo on your body? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's going to have to be fairly high. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Make make me an offer. I can't refuse. <laughs> well, man, it's not exactly gonna, how that yeah, quote went. Geez, but, you we're, know. We're, we're, we're butchering the movie. I know. But I mean, the, I was trying tonight. to make it work. I know that that is not the quote, but I'm trying to make it work in the situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean. It's like one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. I know. With, with great power comes moderate responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Is huh? that how that goes? What? <laughs> it's Luke. I am your uncle. Oh, <laughs> a little creepy in the context of the conversation, the, the, the conversation that happens in the movie. Anyway, um, Monbo, what a dude. Love him. 
Thank yeah. you for giving me the capability to warp from wherever I wanted. Great dancer. And I also like how he just claims to be the child of the sunfish. Like, like the sunfish hasn't been mentioned a single time in this entire game. Yeah, who's the sunfish? Like, why like, does that matter? <laughs> I don't know what that is. Like, great. I'm happy for you. I if mean, he had said, like, I'm the child of the windfish, that would be different. But no, I'm child of the sunfish. Like, what? Who like, cares? Dang. All right. Well, I want to kind of kind of want to meet the sunfish now. I know. Right. Who cares yeah. about the windfish? Like, let's go meet this guy. All right. Anyhow, Monbo, great pick. Uh, so I'm going to go with. I was going to originally go with the Lonely Ghost, and then halfway through this episode, I switched it to somebody else. Who, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Goat Lady from Animal Village. That's a good, that's a good one. Um, speaking of speaking of Catfish's Ma, Goat, fish, or goat Lady getting her catfish on with oh, Mr. Dude, right. Oh, dude, she is totally catfishing that guy. Yeah, so uh, anywho, Goat Lady who uh, as part of the item trading quest will give you a letter to send to Mr. Wright over by the mysterious woods. And she encloses a picture of herself in this envelope. Only it's not exactly a picture of goat lady. When you deliver the letter to Mr. Wright, he opens it up and it's a picture of princess peach. Um, (laughs) It's just like, and it's not even subtle. It's like, I think they took Princess Peach's um, character select image from Mario Kart and just put it in this like envelope and you give it to Mr. Right. It's so funny. Um, It's just like and it's so weird because they didn't even like it's not like they made Peach look like Link's Awakening art style in this image. It's just straight up a Nintendo of America or like a a Nintendo corporate um, approved image of Peach that they could use in any game. And it's so funny. Uh, because you leave the house and you're just like, wait, but that that wasn't uh, anyway. N- hold on. That wasn't you. So that wasn't what you looked like when I left. I'm also a little confused because Mr. Wright <laughs> lives like, I don't know, a 15 minute walk from Animal Village. So I don't know if this catfishing scheme really is going to pan out. Yeah, I don't know if it can really hold up over time, you know, but true love is blind. Well, I mean, Goat Lady clearly doesn't think so. Because I mean, but but who knows? I mean, look, I really think that she should give Mr. Wright a chance. Uh, Are we in? Never mind. These are all sentient critters. I mean, think of it in Star Trek terms. Okay, okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's essentially where you have to be. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in Star Trek, it's like, yes, I'm a human, and yes, you're a frog lady, but but uh, it can work. But it can work. (laughs) It can work. Happen. (laughs) So. Yeah. Just not the de-evolution episode of Next Gen where they're all turning into weird animals. Spiders and crap. No. Yeah, no, no, not that one. No, it is not. No, <laughs> okay. everyone everyone has a soul here, Matt. So uh, it's all- oh, man. Yes. Okay, we went there. So it's good. It's all good. Not if they're <laughs> illusions. Uh, what? What? I don't, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about. What are about. you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Okay, that has been Z-Targeting, which is always a fun and interesting segment of this podcast <laughs> on Koholin Island. It's, it's, it's always a great time. So many um, interesting characters. Part six is going to be our final thoughts, and I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll tackle this one. This yes, week. thank you. Okay, I'll give you a break. Uh, Catfish's Maw and this whole section of the game functions as a great midway point for Link's Awakening. It contains a hard dungeon, some interesting side quests, new and fun characters, and access to the hookshot proceeds to open up the map in um, a lot more ways than we have had previously. So good section of the game. Really enjoyed it. Well done. Nice and succinct. There were a few run-on sentences and hyphenations there, but, you know, we'll uh, 
we'll we'll let it pass. Well, the nice thing is that this is a vocal medium. Podcasting is a vocal medium, so, so you don't you get know, to just... see the atrocious grammar. Yeah, no, yeah, it's great. <laughs> okay. You just okay. have to listen to it. <laughs> God. All right. Mrs. Bowers would be ashamed of me. I know. This has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, be back again next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown. Um, before we get out of here for today, I do just want to mention, we talked about this a little bit earlier on in the episode, but this uh, this installment is set to drop on July the 21st, which means that in the previous week, between last week's episode and this week's, Skyward Sword HD has come out on Switch you guys can now play it and experience it in all of its glory. If you haven't played it before, you really do owe it to yourself to jump into that, and it, it's it's a great time. You're really going to love it. Um, as I said earlier, Matt and I are right now thinking that that's probably what we're going to be playing next. So I understand that it is a bit of a wait, about a month between now and when our next game is going to start. But uh, if you do feel like hanging on, then that puts you in a perfect position to jump in and play this thing one week at a time with us. So. And it is this is my favorite. Skyward Sword is my favorite game, so you'll be getting a lot out of me specifically. Yeah, we've only this. we've only said that a hundred times. So, <laughs> but I mean, the, what I'm most excited about, honestly, what I'm most excited about is to shatter my preconceptions about Skyward Sword, right? Because I feel like we've been pretty good about doing that about taking an objective look at games that we have long considered to be like iconic yeah and and pointing out their flaws right mm -hmm. like i don't i feel like we give a very objective view about what we're what we're playing yeah and um i'm very excited to do that with skyward sword and to take off the rose colored glasses and just really examine it as a game and as a zelda installment and um kind of dissect it from there um so I'm I'm that I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So obviously, like I said, we're recording this episode in the past. So uh, as of this writing, the in game, 1965, not that far in the past. I'm kidding. Anywho, I've been watching uh, Star Trek. OK, like I'm right, in that in right. that yeah, headspace. No, no, no. I got you. I got you. Got you. But I think that's all we've got for news and releases. Yeah, as far as I know. OK, excellent. Well, guys, that is, I think, going to do it for this episode. Um, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and you would like a little bit extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you don't have any rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show, and that makes us very, very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Link's Awakening Chapter 6, including the Face Shrine. Uh, like we said earlier in the episode, we welcome Max Nichols of Bungie back to the podcast for that episode. Should be a great one. He always has excellent insight into the process of game design and... Well, those little little nitty gritty details that Matt and I do not ourselves possess. So we'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Link's Awakening can be played in its original format on the Nintendo 2DS or 3DS on the uh, special edition Legend of Zelda Game & Watch console, or on your trusty old Game Boy or Game Boy Color. Of course, if you're playing the original Game Boy version, you do not get the Color Dungeon, as mentioned in this episode, so just keep that in mind. Or, of course, you can play the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that we are playing. 
In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch you next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.